there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week I introduced Scotty to a movie that I very much liked when it first came out and hadn't seen it in a while. It is a Wes Anderson film. And it's actually Scott's first introduction into Wes Anderson. It's Moonrise Kingdom, released in 2012. So yeah, Wes Anderson, I've always seen the trailers for his movies, and they all just kind of look weird. They're very distinctly shot, very distinct in pretty much every way. Quirky AF, as uh, the kids would say. Yeah, it's just one of those things. You watch the trailer, like, and you're like, this is weird. I'm not sure I'm going to like this. But he has great people that all kind of do his movies. Yes, uh, Wes Anderson has developed quite the reputation, and he has developed a real kind of core set of actors that he tends to reuse a lot in his films. And uh, this movie is no exception. I believe this was also the first Wes Anderson movie I ever watched, and I absolutely loved it. Right now, there's only one Wes Anderson movie that I like better, but eventually we'll get there someday, I think, because you actually enjoyed this movie, which yeah. I was pleased by. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's a it's a cute movie. I, I was a little nervous, because I was like, okay, either he's going to get into this and like it, or he's just going to be very turned off by the quirkiness and think it's just weird and doesn't get it. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is definitely a good quirky movie, but I would definitely say it's not for everybody. Yeah, and like that's why I'm a fan of Wes Anderson. But if you're the type of person that's like, I don't really get it. He's just too weird and quirky for quirky's sake. I don't really dig it. Like I'm not mad at you. That's fine. He definitely has a distinct style. But this was directed and co-written by Wes Anderson. This was right in between the Fantastic Mr. Fox and the Grand Budapest Hotel. Also, two other really good Wes Anderson films. And it was also co-written by Roman Coppola, who is the son of Francis Ford Coppola. And he's worked with Wes Anderson on several other movies as well. Well, in Hollywood, it's good to have a Coppola backing you, a Coppola name. True, true. Anderson has definitely developed, like I said before, quite the reputation in the industry. This film, in particular, was nominated for original screenplay at the Oscars that year. It lost, however, to Django Unchained, which I'm mad about because I love Django. Yes, I do love Django. (laughs) This actually opened the Cannes Film Festival in 2012 and it won AFI Movie of the Year. Interesting. Okay. And it's got really high Rotten Tomatoes ratings. It's a 93 critics score and it made a decent amount of money with a $16 million budget and it grossed $68 million. So the the guy's got a rep and it precedes him surely. Well, yeah. I can't believe this movie cost $16 million. Um, I guess with the actors involved. Right, because yeah. Because you have, like, the cast here is fucking phenomenal. Oh, yeah, we're going to get through the cast for sure. It's definitely an ensemble film. The kids, I guess, would be, like, the main stars of the movie, I suppose. But, like, really 
all the adult actors are very much an ensemble. Yeah, it's definitely one of those movies you kind of have to experience. You kind of have to give yourself to the movie a little bit. Yeah. I would say that about most, if not all, of Wes Anderson's films. Because they are so very quirky. But the other side of that coin, because if you're not a fan of quirkiness, in some cases quirkiness for quirkiness sake, you can usually rely on the core of Wes Anderson's films being very wholesome and family oriented a lot of times and that'll kind of carry it through this is uh pretty similar in that way except like it's it is about family i don't have friends i got family but it's also about young love which is why i thought you would enjoy it seeing as how scotty and i were middle school high school sweethearts back in the day yeah but i don't know if this is all his movies because again this is the first one I've seen all the way through. I've seen parts of other ones here and there, but no one talks like this. Right. No, that's that's true. <laughs> it's, uh, like I said, very distinct style in pretty much every aspect. Cinematography, the writing, direction, even the score uh, is very distinct in its quirkiness and, and lightheartedness. It was composed by Alexandra Desplat, who we've talked about before. Uh, he actually scored Deathly Hallows 1 and 2 when we did the Harry Potter series. We discussed that. Um, but he's scored uh, several Anderson movies as well as Benjamin Button and like King's Speech. And he's he's a very talented composer. <laughs> so should we get right into the nitty gritty? If you are ready, if you have no more facts, then let's get into the nitty gritty. Okay, so we go right into the introduction, the opening credits. And we immediately establish... Anderson's style. He is very detail-oriented, I would say, very meticulous in establishing where we're at and kind of the vibe. Yeah, he, he introduces certain things like our main house, I guess, that we're at. He likes this long shot technique of going to the side and showing us bits and pieces of this house. He likes his little long shot tracking shot. But yeah, it, it gives us a sense of how big the area we're playing in is. Yes. This house that we establish is the home of the Bishop family. We meet Susie Bishop, who's one of our, our main child characters. She's played by Kara Hayward. And funnily enough, she was actually nominated for a Young Artist Award when this movie came out at the same time as another young actor who we discussed in a previous episode do you remember um the movie god bless america yes so this came out at the same time as that movie and the actress from that movie tara lynn barr was nominated in the same category as this young lady so i thought that was kind of funny but they both lost to uh Catherine newton who is actually like a decently large young actress now <laughs> yeah it's funny because when you compare those two characters, they're both kind of brooding in a way. Yeah. So it's very interesting that, I guess, brooding leads to Young Spirit Award nomination. Yeah. I mean, we established right away that our two main child characters are quote-unquote troubled children <laughs> that have emotional problems. Yeah. Susie, who keeps looking at outside through binoculars and... Bugging her three little brothers. Who are playing this record that is 
playing a classical piece of music, but then breaking it down into four separate pieces. Right. It kind of gave me like Fantasia vibes. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I, I was thinking it was like, okay, so you're trying to tell us every part of the story is a different piece. Yeah. So like the woodwinds are this section of the piece, the brass are the boy scouts or whatever and right. i'm like so i get it it all connects to the larger story which is basically what this whole movie is it's like all these different pieces coming together to make this fucking crazy story the parents of Susie, mr and mrs bishop are played by two regulars of wes anderson films we have mr bishop played by bill murray who has been in, I think, all of Wes Anderson's films except for one. And we have Francis McDormand. Who is, again, Oscar-winning, Oscar-nominated actress who could kick everybody's ass. Yes. And uh, they, of course, because it's a Wes Anderson movie, they have quirky quirks about them. They're both lawyers, so throughout the entire movie, they just call each other counselor. (laughs) Every time someone tells them how their daughter did something bad and possibly illegal, they're like, are you lawyers? Because we are. And it's like, okay, we get it. That's your whole personality. (laughs) Well, also, uh, Mrs. Bishop has to shout through the house with a goddamn megaphone. Yeah. I mean, it kind of establishes for both of our main kid characters in different ways. They're established as just being wrote off basically as troubled, but the adults in their lives really don't give a shit about them it's easier to just say that the kid's troubled and like actually like provide them with some extra tlc you know what i mean now to get psychoanalyzing most times when kids have problems it tends to be there's something at home that could be right worked upon so after we establish the bishop family we then meet our other child actor we meet the character of Sam, played by Jared Gilman, who was also nominated for a Young Artist Award that year, but he lost to Spider-Man himself, Tom Holland, for his work in The Impossible. Did you ever see that movie? No. Oh my god, it's so good, and Ewan McGregor's in it. We all know I love Ewan McGregor. Why am I not shocked that Frankie has seen this? And Tom Holland is a little baby, and he's so good. He's so good in that movie. He That was way before he was Spider-Man. He was a little kid and he was really good. But anyway, I would do it on this show, but it's a little intense and emotional. It wouldn't really be much fun. It'd just be like kind of sad the whole time. <laughs> but that's okay. Just take my word for it. It's really good. Okay. <laughs> There's your recommendation for the show. Now, Sam, he's attending a little boy scout camp called Camp Ivanhoe, and it is run by Scout Master Randy. <laughs> who was played by Edward Norton and he's just a fucking derp who takes his job way too seriously. <laughs> oh god, he is the biggest derp of derps. It's so funny cuz now when you think about it, Edward Norton has kind of almost I feel like run himself out of Hollywood for the most part. Well, cuz he's made a reputation for himself of being difficult to work with, which is unfortunate, but like he still does movies and stuff. He does, but there was a point, I think, in his career where he was almost at a level where it was like, oh, Edward Norton's in this movie. That's fucking great. Let's go see it. And now it's like he can barely get like side parts in fucking Wes Anderson movies. I think the last 
movie I heard he was in was that movie Motherless Brooklyn, which I didn't hear was particularly good. I think he was shooting for like an Oscar thing and Hollywood was like, nah. (laughs) So, I mean, but hey, you made your bet, I guess. Well, again, the last thing I even remember was the Hulk. The thing with Norton for me is, and I feel like we talked about this when we did Fight Club, which... I actually liked his performance a lot in Fight Club, but that was, what, in, like, 99? Yeah. <laughs> so my thing with him is most of the movies I have seen him in, and granted, I haven't seen a bunch. Like, you know, he's no Ewan McGregor for me. But I never really had a strong opinion of him as an actor, really. Like, he just was very blah. He's very Eric Bana to me. Oh, I, which is kind of oh. funny because he was the other Hulk, right? Yes, in Eric the ben- in the Ang Lee movie. Yeah, Eric Bana always seemed similar to me to Ed Norton. Where like he's just kind of a blah actor and like whatever. I don't really have an opinion either way. Oh, I can't agree with that. I, like, just because I I've seen mul- a couple of Eric Bana movies. Eric Bana is the blah blah. He is the vanilla ice oh cream God. of vanilla ice I cream. I mean, can I just went? This is told. We're totally getting off track now. But like, w- one of my favorite books of all time is I know Harry Potter, but also the Time Traveler's Wife. And when they did a fucking movie for the Time Traveler's Wife, they casted Eric Bana in the role of the main character. I was so mad and the movie sucked and i was pissed i was like really you couldn't come up with anyone else but eric banna okay sir oh and then okay and well then ang lee's hulk is boring i think i fell asleep in the theater yeah it's it's not good but ed norton has is different he i think he needs the right role yeah i would say that's true because things like fight club this is actually he's very funny as the derp kind of character. Yeah, he's good in this. I like him in this. Um, Primal Fear, where he is the guy. He he's got the dual personality kind of thing. He does well in these movies. I just even in the Hulk. Yes, the Hulk is a little boring. But I don't think that's his fault. To be no, fair, that and one... I'm not like I said, not a big Norton fan. But I don't think the Hulk was really his fault. No, I I think Marvel hadn't established itself yet yeah so they weren't quite sure what they were doing but i think if he hadn't gone such a big head i would have liked to seen what they would continue to do with his character yeah but he i think given the right role can do very well mm-hmm. and can grab people's attention it's just now people see when you go, oh, I deserve more money than Robert Downey Jr. and Sam Jackson. <laughs> that's so funny. You're so funny. That's where you fucked up, man. You ruined. <laughs> you knocked yourself out of your that's career. So funny. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, he plays the very derpy scout leader who is kind of bumbling and fumbling, and he he wants to. He's like, you know what he is? He's like the Dwight Schrute of the fucking Boy Scouts or whatever. He wants to be the best so bad, but he he just takes things too seriously and is not just not there. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I could see that. I could see the white truth. We meet Sam as well as Susie, and we establish that these two kids—they're I think twelve, thirteen years old, very young in the prime of their adolescence. 
but they are pen pals and over a period of like a year of being pen pals they fall in love and they decide to run away together into the woods into the wilderness yeah because they show them meeting in i guess she's in a church play and the scouts are apparently seeing the play sure oh yes because as children we never took fucking bullshit class trips or whatever for stupid reasons it just seemed that's just totally out of character yeah no it was just a weird sam like walks around and just walks backstage and is immediately taken by Susie, who's in a raven costume nevermore (laughs) sorry i had to do that but yeah it's like a cute little thing uh he he goes in the dressing room or whatever and he's like uh what kind of bird are you like to all this group of girls and all the other girls are like oh i'm a i'm a blue bird oh i'm a this some of that and he's like no what kind of bird are you i'm a raven i like you you're pretty <laughs> yeah it, it's just it's kind of an awkward scenario well i i mean listen sam and susie's entire relationship from beginning to the end of the movie is awkward but it's it should be it should just reek of prepubescent awkwardness which is exactly what it it is like when you you know have that like first love type feeling and it's immature and it's you know your first time feeling feeling those kinds of butterfly feelings it's awkward it's like it's weird it's just a weird feeling and there's no way for it not to be awkward. But the thing is, it it works for the movie because it just works for these characters who are so very young. And like everyone who's had a a first love in your teenage years can understand that feeling. Yeah, and I do understand it. I, I just think the way Sam is written, sometimes he comes off too awkward. I disagree. I think they're both adorable. I mean, Sam definitely is like a nerdy little kid. He's like very proficient at, you know, the cub skills. Like he's good with uh, making fire and setting up camp and all this shit. Like, you know, and he's like, I'll take care of you out here in the wilderness. It's cute. It's cute. Yeah, I'm not saying it isn't cute. I'm just saying it's just like certain points where you're like, this kid is really like almost like written too awkwardly. Again, it's not super like oh it's taking me out of the film just like wow this kid is like woof <laughs> yes well when scott was 12 13 years old he was the pinnacle of suaveness of smoothness hey i was sky goddamn masterson i thank you oh very my much god okay for those of you that don't know sky masterson is the name of the lead character in guys and dolls because scott thinks because he was in our eighth grade production of guys and dolls and he was the lead that he's hot shit luck be a lady tonight luck be a lady tonight Lucky if you've ever been a lady to begin with. Lucky be a lady tonight. Scott was the Troy Bolton of our school. He was on the football team and he was a theater kid. He was so cool. (laughs) That's why you hate High School Musical so much because you know you're Troy Bolton. I'm not Troy. You're Troy fucking Bolton. Uh, it's funny because it's true. Anyway, <laughs> the kids decide to run off together and they do so 
with the goal of reaching this secluded cove that's on the island. Yes, they live on an island, okay? They're in New England. I think this movie was filmed in Rhode Island. So they're on a big-ass fucking island, and their goal is to get to a secluded cove on the island because Sam, you know, because he's a Cub Scout nerd, he's good at cartography because, you know, who ain't good at cartography when they're 12? And he's like, there's this cool little secret cove on the island and we're gonna go there yeah and we have a narrator oh god you did not like the narrator you were like who is this guy i'm like okay calm down well well, no it's just because usually narrators are not seen and aren't characters that interact with other characters that's not true at all that's true a great deal of the time yes I would say like 50-50. I would say like 90-10. That's, uh, see, I think we're both off. It's somewhere in the middle of that, probably, we could compromise. But yeah, what were you going to say about the narrator? So the narrator basically, like, he breaks this whole story down from the very beginning, but also gives us information like, there's a storm coming on September 5th, 1965, but this is September second or whatever uh-huh and it's very interesting like he lays this little detail at us but it doesn't really register at first right so he said because he says it so casually and like yeah it's very innocuous yeah he was a weird character that at one point he comes and just interjects in the random fight and goes oh yeah i taught sam cartography remember and you're like what <laughs> you're a character Oh, yeah, because up to that point when he had popped up and started speaking to, like, the main characters, like, he was just a guy, like, explaining shit, like, on the side. And you thought he was, like, non-diegetic, basically. And then he just pops up and Scott's like, wait, what? (laughs) That was kind of funny to see that. Once Randy, a.k.a. Edward Norton, and all the little scouts discover that Sam is missing... Randy contacts Captain Sharp of the Authorities. Captain Sharp is played by none other than Bruce Willis. That's right. Bruce Willis is in this movie. Now, this is, what, 2012, right? Yes. Bruce Willis at this time... Didn't give a fuck. You want to know how I know? This movie was right in between Cop Out and A Good Day to Die Hard. So he decided to wake up in between those two movies. Well, I think... Because of the character of Captain Sharp. Because the character of Captain Sharp is described by many people as a sad, funny man. Yes. And I think because Bruce Willis is so checked out, it works for the character. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Yeah, you know what it is? I think I think it's also the fact that this role is a little more light and kind of funny. So, like, he could feel comfortable relaxing a little bit with it. And also, it, part of it could be the fact that Wes Anderson kind of carries a more prestigious reputation behind him. So maybe he thought, this movie's going to be at the Cannes Film Festival. It's, it could be shopped around for Oscar bait. Maybe I should, you know turn it on a little bit <laughs> maybe he's not he's not an action hero anymore i mean he's not he's not well clearly it. not because he did good day to die hard after this well no but like he because he gives a little more in this because he's not an action hero he's not living off oh okay being I get what you're john saying. mcclain right right 
He's not trying to relive the glory days like cop, of John McClane. Like cop out. There are, again, listen to all of Kevin Smith talk about cop out, but he is honoring the John McClane kind of character so he doesn't feel like he has to try because that's just who he is. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these bad Bruce Willis movies tend to be action movies. But a fun fact that I found out about this role of Captain Sharp, apparently Wes Anderson said he imagined Jimmy Stewart in this role. Obviously, he couldn't be at the time, but like I'm assuming he meant like a Jimmy Stewart type right. actor, which is kind of funny because he went from Jimmy Stewart <laughs> to Bruce Willis. Like I got to imagine there must have been some other touchstone in between those two that didn't work out. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a weird transition. I can't follow the roadmap quite there, but it's there somewhere. But Captain Sharp contacts Sam's parents, quote unquote parents, and uh, him along with Scoutmaster Randy, they both discover that Sam is a foster child. His parents died when he was very young, and his foster parents are like, listen, um, this kid's got problems, so we don't want him back. So, bye. Social services will be contacting you. Bye. And it's like, wait, <laughs> what? It, it was just kind of funny how, like, Kevin Sharp was like, wait, I don't understand this. <laughs> what do you mean you can't invite him back? Are you not his father? And he's like, no, I'm his foster father. You dumbass. And he's like, I still don't understand. You're not inviting him back? What does that mean? <laughs> how does that work? You can't just do that, can you? <laughs> But um, after that whole scene, Scoutmaster Randy decides he's going to gather up his scouts for a search party. Oh, and the scouts go fucking mental. They don't give a fuck because they all hate Sam because he's weird and awkward. So they're like, do we really have to give a shit about him? And they ask Randy, like, what's your profession outside of being a Scoutmaster? I'm a math teacher. I'm going to change my answer. In fact, this is my real job. Scoutmaster Troop 55. A math teacher on the side. Oh, honey, you don't know where you belong, do you? <laughs> a detail that I found worthy enough to write down in my notes was that they have a, a dog in this scout troop that helps with the search party, and his name is Snoopy. I just thought that, that was really cute. Yeah, but it doesn't work out for Snoopy. Shut up. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but Snoopy is cute. Snoopy's like a little schnauzer. Yeah, he was really cute. So, yeah, they go on the hunt. Sam and Susie are tracking through the wilderness. Meanwhile, Bruce Willis goes to Susie's house to talk to her parents because her parents soon realize that she's missing and they find all the letters between her and Sam. And they're like, oh, they plan to run away this whole time. And Bruce Willis is like, we're going to find her. Everything's going to be fine. And in the midst of that, we discover that Bruce Willis knows Francis McDormand very personally. In fact, they're having an affair together. <gasps> Scandalous. So as Scott was saying, the kids are hiking through the wilderness and they're getting closer and, and they're having a lovely ass time. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of little moments here. At one point, uh, Susie's showing Sam all of the books she brought, including a book from her parents that's about troubled children. And Sam kind of left at her for being so upset about them having a book. Yeah, and she got upset and ran off, and he quickly apologized to her. And it was like, you know, they made up. It was like a cute moment. 
But then as they are hiking through the woods, uh, eventually the scouts catch up with them and they find Susie and Sam and they end up having this altercation where the scouts are trying to bring these two in and Sam and Susie are like, Mind your damn motherfucking business, bitch! And Susie stabs the head scout with a pair of lefty scissors. Yeah, because, you know, as you do. <laughs> and uh, in the midst of this altercation also, a couple of the scouts have these bow and arrows, and one of the stray arrows goes wild and hits Snoopy and kills him. And I was very sad about it because I had forgotten that the dog died. <laughs> and later on, like, they, Sam confronts the fucking kid that got stabbed with the scissors and he's like your fucking arrow killed snoopy by the way and he's like up oh, couldn't be helped i was like you heartless bastard <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you those fucking dicks <laughs> the scouts retreat and when they go back to the adults they see this fucking scout with a bloody side after being stabbed with scissors <laughs> And fucking Scoutmaster Randy goes up to Susie's parents and they're like, um, this is assault. Like, your daughter is a crazy person. Like, what the fuck? And they're like, are you a fucking lawyer? Like, Do you they know? Start, they start fighting and then all of a sudden fucking Bill Murray whips off his shoe and chucks it at them. That really hurt. I'm gonna have a lump there, you idiot. Who throws a shoe? Honestly. Oh, God. It's so good. It's so funny. And them, Captain Sharp, Edward Norton, again, as we said before, they're broken up by the narrator who just appears and is like, oh, I taught Sam cartography. He was very interested in the trails that are around the island and one trail in particular. It's right here on the map and he points to it so I know where they're going. Thank you for figuring that out for us, sir. So Susie and Sam eventually do get to their little secret cove and they decide to rename it Moonrise Kingdom. Ah! He said it! He said it! They have just an awkwardly romantic time. The tension is is there romantically. They share an awkward first kiss. And again, it's super awkward, but also super cute, like any young love that one would experience. Susie does, at one point, talk about you know him being an orphan and how she thought you know being an orphan was so magical and sam looks there goes you have no idea what the fuck you're talking about well he didn't say it's so mean he said i love you but you don't know what you're talking about and like that whole interaction is actually really one of the the best little dialogue parts of the movie because they're both offbeats and they're both outcasts basically but for totally different reasons but at the same time, like, they both have things that they envy about each other. Even though they both are kind of in the same place emotionally. So it's very interesting. It kind of says a lot about the adolescent experience, too, if you think about it. <laughs> like, no matter where you come from or what you're doing, being a teenager fucking sucks. <laughs> well, yeah, because you have no idea what the fuck you're doing. And your hormones are going fucking bananas. And another thing, too, about this movie and, like... I mean, a lot of Wes Anderson movies, I think, like, but it's especially apparent when you're dealing with kids. This is one of those movies where kids talk like grownups and like, this is, this, this is not how kids talk, <laughs> but it's not, it's not so over the top that it's like distracting or like takes you out of the movie, but it's still like, 
yeah kids don't talk like this but it it kind of works with the quirky vibe i guess of wes anderson yeah it's i guess it's difficult to kind of capture how kids talk because when you have somebody like wes anderson who at the time probably is in his like 40s when he made this movie so after this whole sequence, the adults do end up finding the kids. Susie's parents end up taking her home. Edward Norton tries to give Sam a little heart-to-heart, but it, it kind of doesn't land very well. Surprise, surprise. Social services ends up contacting Captain Sharp, and they're like, uh, okay, we're going to come get the boy tomorrow. And social services is played by Tilda Swinton. Woo! Yes, another Wes Anderson regular, which, uh, fun fact, both Alan Rickman and Jeremy Irons were both considered for this role also, but they ended up going with Tilda Swinton, which I think was a great choice. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Rickman, but yeah, no, Tilda was good. She basically explains that we're going to put Sam in a quote-unquote juvenile refuge, which is basically just like juvie. She does mention electroshock therapy, just to make us think of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest a little bit. Right. And I liked the part where both Edward Norton and Bruce Willis were like outraged by that. Like, what do you mean you're going to give him electroshock there? Well, he's not a bad kid. He's, he's not violent. Like, what are you talking about? I have a report here that there were scissors involved. And they're like, they scream into the phone. How was the girl who did that? <laughs> Bruce Willis agrees to house Sam until social services comes. And he actually gives sam a more of a genuine heart to heart that does kind of land a little more he seems like he genuinely cares about sam and like tells him he's sorry that he lost Susie and like it just not that edward norton didn't seem like he cared but like he just didn't know how to connect with the kid bruce willis seemed like he knew more how to connect with him i i think because captain sharp knows about lost love because I think he... Right, he mentions in comparison with Francis McDormand. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, he understands it with the kid, while Edward Norton is a kind of a derp. While Bruce Willis is having a talk with Sam, back at the Bishop home, Francis McDormand is trying to have a talk with Susie, but she basically just tells her, I fucking hate you. And Susie reveals that she has known the whole time about the affair between her and Bruce Willis. Which, you know, possibly could explain why she's been acting out a little bit. But, you know, Frances McDormand kind of just brushes that off and that's the end of that. Well, <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, then no wonder this kid is, like, fucking done with your ass. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not even only that, but Bill Murray also, for the most part, seems very checked out. Yeah, definitely. As a character, like... At one point, he goes downstairs, he's carrying an axe, he's shirtless, and he goes, I'm going to cut down the tree. <laughs> I just need to get some aggression out here. The thing about Bill Murray is, like, he can just make any role, even if it's, like, a minor role or, like, a very uh, subdued role. He can still bring something really unique and special out of it which is what I very much like about him. And I think that explains very much why Wes Anderson uses him all the time because he's just got that presence, you know? Well, there's a reason a lot of us love Bill Murray and that we love hearing the stories about him just randomly showing up to a college party and doing their dishes 
and showing up at a random wedding photo shoot and just posing with the bride and groom. Why we love Ghostbusters and all these random movies. Scrooged. Uh, listen to our Scrooge review. Like, he's just that guy. You just kind of love him just because he's him. And yeah, Wes Anderson takes full advantage of that. So while all that is going on, all the scouts are at camp and they decide, you know, they, they're going to have a change of heart about Sam. You know, he may be awkward and emotionally disturbed, but he's a scout. So we have to help him just for the sake of duty alone. Yeah, we did corner him in the woods with a pickaxe, bow and arrows. But, you know, it's fine. We're going to turn. We're, we're cool with him now. We're, fu- we're going to do it now. We're okay. So they decide to help Sam and Susie. Together, they rescue both of them from their respective abodes. And they paddle to a neighboring island to see a a gentleman called Cousin Ben, who is the older relative of one of the scouts. And he also works at a scout camp on this other island. Cousin Ben is played by Jason Schwartzman, who is another Wes Anderson regular. We also meet the commander who is running this scout camp. His name is Commander Pierce. And he's played by... The Wolf. Harvey Cartel. And um, he, he has a nice little bit part in this movie. Actually, they get word at the big camp that uh, all the scouts at Scoutmaster Randy's camp have disappeared. And <laughs> he calls fucking Edward Norton a bimbo, <laughs> which made me laugh inside. Harvey Keitel calling Edward Norton a bimbo. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole scene where Edward Norton realizes his scouts are gone. He, like, wakes up like it's a normal day, does his little walk, but, like, no one's here. You ring the breakfast bell, you sit down and eat, no one is coming. I'm like, how long did it take you from when you sat down to when you realized none of the kids were there? So ridiculous. But, you know, he's a derp, so that's his role. He is the derp. But Cousin Ben, he agrees to smuggle Sam and Susie away in a crab fishing boat and says like, oh, you know, Sam, you can just work with with the crab fishermen to make money and you can live your life and everything will be fine and dandy. He also agrees when the kids ask, he agrees to marry Sam and Susie, even though he flat out tells them like, this is not going to be legal in any way, shape or form, but I can do it because that's what you guys want. (laughs) And that's fine with me. And they're like, yep, that's what we want. We are 12 years old and we want to be married forever and ever. (laughs) Yeah. There's also a thing here because before they get to this other camp, the scouts and Susie, uh, our narrator appears for another time, his second to last time appearing, and he says, Today is September 5th, the day of the storm. And you're left knowing, oh shit, this storm is about to hit. Ah, so there, there was a reason this was said in the beginning of the movie. Yay, gotcha. <laughs> Meanwhile, while they're on this big island trying to basically smuggle out Sam and Susie, the adults are already tracking them and before sam can get to the boat um he runs past the infirmary on in the camp which so happens to be housing the fucking kid from before that got stabbed with the lefty scissors 
And Sam decides, well, I'm going to tackle you now. And he runs at the fucking kid and starts, like, trying to beat the shit out of him. No, he's clawing at the stab wound. Oh, right. He punches his fucking stab wound like a fucking boss. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> go, go, child. Beat up that other child who's been severely injured. Yes. <laughs> Take advantage. Kick him in the kidneys. But, uh, so, oh, yeah, that's what they say, too, later, the adults, when the, when the kid, when the kid, after the fight with Sam, the kid, like, shows up, and some adult is like, oh, is he gonna be okay? He's like, ah, he might have permanent kidney damage, but he, he'll be fine. I'm like, what? Tis but a scratch. A scratch? Your arm's off. No, it isn't. Well, what's that, then? I've heard worse. The scissors kid starts shouting like, oh, he's here, the fugitive, he's here. It's like, okay, great. So now all these scouts are chasing poor Sam, holding these little binoculars, and they basically corner him. And he's like holding up the fucking binoculars like a lightning rod. And what do you think happens then? But the thing is, I totally forgot that happened. in the movie i knew he i knew he wasn't gonna die or anything i know that much but i did not remember he got struck by lightning so when it happened (laughs) and he literally just like flew back and fell on his butt and like had soot all over his face and his shoes were on fire i was like i don't remember this but maybe that makes sense because they literally just gloss over it like it's no big deal yeah he was (laughs) he was struck by 1.21 gigawatts oh my god what the hell is a gigawatt (laughs) Yeah, it's so out of nowhere because he's running in like circles to avoid these fucking people. And then when he gets struck by lightning, they disappear for like half a second. And you're like, where did the other fucking people go? They were right on his tail. Uh, yeah, that was weird too. But okay, so here's here's an interesting thing that happened. At this point in the movie, Scott looks at me and he pauses the movie and he says, I'd like to make a prediction, please. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Scott, would you like to tell us what your prediction was for the rest of the movie after that? So I knew they were going to get caught. Uh Uh-huh. But is it going to be that Bill Murray and Francis McDormand are going to adopt Sam into their family? And I was like, no. (laughs) Close, but no cigar. (laughs) I really got points in horseshoes for being close. You were kind of close. I mean, not you just got the person. You got the people wrong, but you got the action correct. Spoiler alert. What what happens next exactly? Just stay tuned, kids. So this violent storm breaks out. Shit gets crazy. Chaos is ensuing. Tilda Swinton has now landed. Yes. And it's... It's so great because all the kids and all the adults basically have now, including Susie's parents and social services, everybody's in this one church. Oh, well, okay. We, we're skipping over part that I want to talk about real quick. Oh, okay, go, go, go. Okay, so the scout master, Harvey Keitel, is getting the rest of the scouts ready to evacuate to the church. Uh-huh. And <laughs> one of his, like, I guess, lieutenants looks at him and goes, oh, did you remember your medicine that's in the tent? He goes, oh, no, 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 I gotta go get it. But then <laughs> Scoutmaster Randy comes running up and he field strips him of his command. Harvey Keitel goes back into the tent, which immediately explodes. And <laughs> Oh, yeah. See, that I forgot about, too, because it's so quick and just doesn't even matter. <laughs> It doesn't. Like, they just killed Harvey Keitel, and we're just going to move right along well, here. Well, Randy, like, jumps in and saves him and carries Harvey Keitel on his back. It's so weird. The whole thing is so weird. But, I mean, it's Wes Anderson, kids. Uh, so now everybody's at the church. 
And something I found really cute was like Randy and Captain Sharp are there when social services show up and she's like yelling at Captain Sharp like what the fuck you were in charge of this kid like you're going to be held responsible if anything happens to him and he's like good I'm glad I want to be because this is bullshit you can't just take him and throw him in like some fucking jail and Brandy is chiming in too like you're not giving him electroshock therapy like that's not happening and she's like you have no power here bitch <laughs> like what the fuck are you talk but I thought it was really cute that they're both like standing up for him even though like he's caused all this trouble like they still think he's a good kid it was cute well yeah until Swinton is like ripping into Randy and Captain Sharp it's a nice scene but then you realize that all the scouts that were missing are above them on the balcony in like foxes and like yeah they, they've all disguised themselves and then bruce willis kind of notices like something is afoot and then the power kind of goes out for a second and pops back on and the two disguised little kids in the middle are gone and he's like fuck where are they where are they tell me where they are and one of the kids points up to like the top of the church like in the steeple and Bruce Willis is like, fuck, now I got to climb this church in the middle of a damn hurricane. God damn it. So the two kids have now climbed to the top of the steeple. Oh, this is very like intense and dramatic for a fucking movie about like two little kids in puppy love. It's very dramatic. They look at each other and go, okay, we're going to jump. And he's like, I can't really swim that well. He goes, yeah, it's okay. It might not be deep enough for us to swim anyway. We might just break our necks on the fall. And they're like, cool with that. They're like, ah, fuck it. Let's just do it. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? Oh, my God. So dramatic. And then Bruce Willis, as he's climbing up the church, he calls inside to the church, like with his uh, walkie talkie. And he's like, I want to speak to the social services lady. And he, like, officially asks her, can I be his legal guardian? As he's climbing up the church, I want to be Sam's legal guardian. And she's like, um, no. And then (laughs) Bruce Willis calls out to Mr. and Mrs. Bishop, who are both lawyers, as I said before, even though earlier in the movie, Bill Murray was throwing shoes at this motherfucker. (laughs) They still, like, help him. And they're like, well, you can't tell him he can if he's a stable person and he's able to provide for him you can't tell him just because he's single that he can't take care of sam i would take that case so eventually social service is like fine you want him you can fucking take him and then when bruce willis gets to the top of the steeple he's like screaming over to them like don't jump you fucking idiots (laughs) and he says to sam like i want to be your legal guardian you can come live with me sam is like very heartwarmed by that and he looks at Susie. And they hold hands and they're like, let's get down. And they're like, okay, they're coming down. And they, they fucking, the fucking steeple, as if it can't get more dramatic, the fucking steeple is hit by lightning right at that moment. Oh, Cap, just sent you back to the future. Yeah. Oh, I know you did send me back to the future, but I'm back. I'm back from the future. And Sam is holding on to Bruce Willis's hand. He's holding on to Susie. And I'm sitting there going, can someone get out there and get them? Yeah, really. Like, no one. They're just leaving Bruce Willis to deal with this all by himself. And God forbid if he dropped those kids, it'd be like, you killed my kids. But eventually everything is right as rain. No pun intended. The next scene they cut to is the fucking charred ass steeple, like crushed on the ground. <laughs> like, oh, that could have been these two small children. 
that's great <laughs> yeah and the narrator basically wrapping up about the damages of the town but it led to a great harvest next year so there's good things that come from this sure there's always light after the darkness yeah exactly that's a good thing and um there's kind of an epilogue here with sam in Susie's house uh and he's painting something for her and it turns out to be basically a landscape of Moonrise Kingdom, which is very cute. And then Susie's parents call her down for dinner, hopefully implying that their situation is better as well. And um, as Sam slips out the window, which, by the way, he's wearing a policeman's uniform, which I thought was really cute because, like maybe beforehand he was kind of idolizing randy in a way because he wanted he was into like the scout stuff so he was dressing in the scout uniform all the time but now he's got bruce willis as his guardian and he cares about him so it's like oh i want to be like my sort of kind of dad now and like it's cute like it's cute it is but it also makes you think that they're still sneaking around (laughs) well yeah it kind of does imply that a little bit too but that's okay young love Young love, Scotty. He slips out the window and gets yep. into Bruce Willis's police car. And right as he's about to do that, he whispers to Susie, I'll see you tomorrow. And then he gets out. Yeah, we'll, we'll make out behind the dominoes tomorrow. Oh, no. Not the dominoes. How classless. But, uh, yeah, that's Moonrise Kingdom, you guys. I was so happy to rewatch this because it, like, it definitely gave me uh, some feels, but it's also just a quirky ass cute movie. Yeah, again, it's quirk, it's cute, it, it, it's it's a good movie. It's you know, it's one of those again. This is not a movie I would go to frequently. I feel like, but it it, it was a cute movie to watch. I feel like I would watch it again. Yeah, but yeah, it's not something I'm gonna I'm gonna be like, hey, Frankie. Let's watch Moonrise Kingdom tonight. When you say it like that, it's such a creepy, whispery tone. What whispery tone? I don't know what you're speaking of. (laughs) But what I like about this movie and Wes Anderson in general, I think, is like he has that quirkiness about him just in pretty much every aspect of his movies. However, he does have a real heart to the movie that is relatable so the quirkiness is just kind of like adornment it's like decoration on top of this heartwarming foundation of the movie you see what i'm saying yeah i I definitely agree with you there's definitely a a nice milk chocolatey center yes to this movie yes and then like the fucking awkward dialogue at parts and the cinematography and the tittering fucking score it's like all like nuts on top of the candy bar you see what i'm yeah, saying yeah I, I see what you're saying I, I i get your metaphor here. yes that's good i you know i was an english major i should be good at metaphors so that makes me happy so scotty yes before i ask you what you rated this film let me ask you something else does this movie make you want to watch another uh wes anderson film well as i always tell you dear i will watch anything at least once but yes, I will be willing to watch another Wes Anderson film. I will not guarantee I will like. Yes. Well, like I said before, I would say that this movie, Moonrise Kingdom, is probably my second favorite Wes Anderson film. My first favorite, I would say, probably is Royal Tenenbaums. Ah. Granted, I haven't seen all of the Wes Anderson films yet. 
there's a couple I still haven't seen. But right now, I would say my favorite is Royal Tenenbaum. So maybe one day we'll do that movie. That sounds like fun. Sounds like a good time. I am down to give it a shot. So I rated this film four out of five stars. Scott, what did you rate it? So I was stuck kind of between a three and a half and a four. I ended up rounding it up to a four. Okay. I could see either one being fair. But I'm glad you gave it a four. Yeah, it's it's a good... Again, it's cute. It's quirky. It works pretty much for the most part. I laughed because I'm like, all the adults in this movie are so inept. <laughs> it's funny because we just recently, when we did Raiders of the Lost Ark, we talked about how villains pretty much in a lot of movies need to be incompetent for the movie to happen. And in this case, even though the adults in the movie aren't the villains, they're they're... they're mostly decent people they're just kind of fucked up but because the kids are engaging in many much hijinks they all like the adults need to be incompetent for the movie to happen (laughs) so it is kind of funny how incompetence sometimes is required for shit to get real indeed but it all worked out in the end in the end yes it all did work out two 12 year olds were married um, well, not really. I mean, maybe in their hearts. In the eyes of God. <laughs> oh, don't act like it. when you were 13 years old, you weren't telling me, oh, I want to marry you someday. Because we were 13 and we didn't know any better. He were there someday. And I eventually did marry you. Yeah, so. well, you know, wasn't an easy road getting there. We got there. We got there eventually. We had to we had to wait. God, God, you what? You expect me to be like, oh, okay, eighteen, we're good, let's get married. We weren't even speaking when we were eighteen years old. <laughs> we had a long road, guys. Let's <laughs> just say all our dirty laundry on this. I mean, listen, it's fine. We're married now. It's okay. We're speaking now. <laughs> Uh, It'd be worse if we were married and not speaking. Like we were Bill Murray. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We're sleeping in two separate beds on opposite sides of the room. And literally admitting that we're only staying together for the kids. Actually, what you guys don't know, when this podcast shuts off, we stop speaking to each other Oh yeah, like he goes in his room, I go in my room. And his room is the closet and my room is the bedroom. And then... We just... Why do I get the closet? Because, I'm not fucking Harry Potter. Because, because you're the boy and I'm the girl and I want the bedroom. <laughs> I I need, you know, lumbar support. <laughs> I don't know. God damn it. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> next week, Scott's going to be showing me a movie that I'm both worried and excited to watch because it's... A Disney movie, but I don't think it's rated very high. <laughs> it, no, okay. But Scott says it's fun, so okay. I'm going to bank on that, even though he's seen movies like Lake Placid and thought that those were a rip-roaring good time. Uh, no, no, okay. So no, I don't know if I trust no, his judgment. That is incorrect. Okay, I know Lake Placid isn't a good movie. It is fun because it's a dumb horror movie. Mm-hmm. But this movie, I think, is getting a revisit by a lot of people and i think it deserves that because i think all the actors in it do a great job okay and i think it is a lot of fun okay okay i'm willing to to trust you dear this is a marriage based on trust and love after all 
as you try and shove your foot in my face. I can do that if I want to because I'm your wife and I put it in the contract, bitch. (laughs) It was in the fine, fine, fine print and now it's contractually binding forever and ever. If you don't like it, divorce me. I'm getting a little loopy now. Okay, so until next week, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our... (laughs) That was a long-winded fucking sentence. For our swashbuckling, sword-fighting movie adventure. Oh, get ready. For this jelly? No. No.